Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week we're finishing our study of the Gospel of Mark. If you'd like more resources like this one, check out our online library at thevillagechapel.com resources. Our team carefully curates a variety of articles, books, and video content, and we pray these tools would help you think biblically in all categories of life so that we all might be formed more into the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's Pastor Jim. We come to the climactic event we call the resurrection of Jesus Christ as told in Mark's gospel. Chapter 16, I'm going to read the first eight verses today in our final episode, uh, which is the next one. I'll read the last little bit of Mark 16 as we close up our study of Mark's gospel on timeless truth. All right, verse 1, chapter 16. This is an amazing event. Watch this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Anoint who? Anoint Jesus, the dead body of Jesus. Remember, the women had followed Joseph of Arimathea, who took the body of Christ down from the cross, along with Nicodemus, a friend of his. And we read about that in one of the other gospel records. And by the way, I encourage you to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four accounts of the resurrection. It's a great read. You'll love it. They each give a little bit of different detail, and it kind of helps fill in some of the gaps. But The women here that are mentioned in verse 1 of Mark's gospel, they followed Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus when they took the body of Jesus to a tomb that was owned by Joseph of Arimathea and laid the body of Jesus there and rolled a giant stone in front of it. And that's why we know the women knew which tomb to go to. They had already been there a few nights before when Jesus was buried there by Joseph and Nicodemus. Now they're coming to um, pay some respects to the dead body of Jesus. They're interested in bringing these spices and anointing the body with these spices. They came, verse two says, very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. See, the idea is it's crack of dawn and they're, Uh, equipped with their spices, expecting to find a dead body. And here's what happens. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And you get to see them uh, walking pretty good pace. And as they come around the curve, you know, all of a sudden there's the tomb. Looking up, verse four says, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And I can imagine they were. They weren't expecting that to have happened. Who is this guy? As they come into the tomb, who is this guy in white? And and they're just amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, Here is the place where they laid him. And he points right to the spot where the body would have been laid. How did he know who they were looking for? They haven't really had much conversation there. I don't know, but I'm really glad he said that. It resonated with them because they're sitting there. Our eyes are bugging out. They can't 
can't understand what in the world is going on. The stone was gone. The, the opening to the tomb. Well, let's go in. Let's, let's see. We wanted to anoint his body anyway. Maybe now we can actually do it. No, there's no body there. But there's another guy we don't recognize. With He's dressed in white. And he all of a sudden starts talking and tells us why we're here. I mean, can you imagine what's going through their minds when he says, you're looking for Jesus. He's not here. He's risen. Can you imagine this? Here's the place where they laid him. And then he goes further. He says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter. Well, Peter was one of the disciples. But yeah, the angel, and I'm letting you in, spoiler alert, it's an angel. The angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Um, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Wait a minute, this guy knows some of the amazing things that Jesus said to these women who are standing there with their mouths hanging open and their, their, their hearts begin to just beat out of their chest. Their eyes are bugging out. They can't believe what they're hearing. And <clears throat> this guy now commissions them, sends them out on a mission to go and tell the disciples and Peter that he's Jesus is going to go ahead of them to Galilee and there you'll see him just as he told you. This is just brilliant. Verse eight, and then I'll finish for the day. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. And they're literally foot racing their way to where the disciples are to be able to tell them this. And along the way, they're not telling anybody. They just can't believe it. They're breathing so heavily they can't even speak. Like I said, their eyes are bugging out and their hearts are you know, pounding so loud they can hear them. And what in the world are they going to tell the guys, you know? Um, What are they going to tell everyone else? The most remarkable thing they had encountered ever in their entire lives, including the three other times when they saw Jesus raise somebody else from the dead. Uh, This is remarkable. Well, the resurrection of Jesus indeed is a, a game changer. And, you know, that's an understatement. Was it a historical reality? Or, as some would suggest down through history, uh, was it just a hoax? Uh, Something that the followers of Jesus came up with along the way to try to prop up the image of their fallen hero? Um, Well, what's the evidence for it being a historical reality? Um, Some of the objections to it would say, oh, he didn't really die. Uh, He just passed out on the cross and you know, his, uh, or some would say, well, his disciples came and stole the body, you know. Um, How do you deal with all of that? Let me give you five, uh, uh, I'd say, good arguments for the historical reality of the resurrection and why it really has changed the course of history. Uh, First, the medical evidence. You got to look at, did he really die? Well, a lot of people didn't even survive the scourging that Jesus went through. Uh, with the cat of nine tails and the, there's just his face pummeled and beaten um, to a pulp. And, and, and so <clears throat> the fact that he survived all of that is a, a great uh, argument in favor of the fact that he actually died because surviving, that's one thing, but then being nailed to a cross and hanging there for hours and hours. You know, uh, Most people, when they died on a cross, died of asphyxiation. Uh, they 
they just literally a slow choking to death. But with Jesus, you know, this, they came along and ran a spear through his side and the water and the blood came out. And the indication is it came out separately, which would indicate hypovolemic shock. That is indeed uh, his body fluids had begun to separate. When the Roman centurion was asked by Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor, was he, is he dead? Is he really dead yet? And the centurion, who's an expert executioner, said, yes, he's really dead. We read that uh, in a previous episode here. Um, you've got the medical evidence all lining up to say, yes, he really died. And then Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, of course, up close to the body, and they carry it to the tomb that belonged to Joseph, and they bury it there and roll that giant stone in front of it. And for <clears throat> three days, portions of three days, it is there in the Judean sun uh, and heat. And um, yeah, the medical evidence would suggest there's just no way he wasn't dead. Second thing, the empty tomb itself, okay? Um, remember, uh, from the other gospel records, you know there's an elite Roman guard stationed outside the tomb. So if somebody came and stole the body, they'd have to take those Roman guards out. Um, and, you know, that's just not likely for a band of misfits from Galilee, fishermen with fishing poles and no swords and no shields and no bow and arrow or anything. Um, best they could probably do is a small knife. And there's just no way they stole the body. Um, <clears throat> the empty tomb is great evidence for the historical argument for uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You could just produce the body. You could have uh, silenced the whole rumor spreading rapidly that Jesus had risen from the dead. The Apostle Paul tells us that over 500 people saw him alive. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if 500 people were, most of whom were still alive, you could interview them back then. Eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus was upright and walking and talking after he had risen from the dead. That's pretty good evidence. So you've got the you've got the medical evidence, you've got the empty tomb, you've got the 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses. You've got the transformed disciples, once bound by fear, now bold in faith. They're preaching the gospel. The book of Acts is just an amazing read. I mean, you just it's it's hard to believe that the same guys that were in hiding you know, uh, fearful for their lives and all that sort of thing, are the same guys that begin to preach the gospel after Jesus had risen from the dead. And what can explain that kind of transformation other than the fact that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead? And then there's the wildfire-like spread of the gospel around the mighty Roman Empire and, um, you know, where where people are literally saying Jesus is Lord and you say that under the peril or the threat of death because um, back in those days, um, um, you know, Caesar worship, emperor worship used to be demanded at the point of a sword. And if you were not willing to say, you know, Caesar is Lord or the emperor is Lord, you could lose your life for saying Jesus is Lord. And many Christians indeed did lose their lives. So how is it? 
that this um, historic movement swept the Roman Empire without anybody drawing a sword, without anybody shooting a bow and arrow. Um, the resurrection truly was an historic event. A.N. Wilson is an English writer and newspaper columnist. He was a believer early on in his life, turned to and became an atheist, and then became a believer again. Now, I believe, still a professing Christian, A.N. Wilson. Um, he wrote this once in a, a newspaper article. Easter confronts us with a historical event set in time. We are faced with a story of an empty tomb, of a small group of men and women who were at one stage hiding for their lives, and at the next were brave enough to face the full judicial persecution of the Roman Empire and proclaim their belief in a risen Christ. Yeah, that sums it up quite well. I think that's one of the reasons I really believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical reality. Secondly, I believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a relentless grace. It's just a grace that comes after us. We see it here, the way that as these women come to the tomb and the angel has already kicked the stone out of the way and the angel stays around after Jesus has already left. And by the way, with the stone, pretty sure the stone was kicked out of the way, not just so Jesus could get out of the tomb, but so that the women could get in the tomb and see that he was no longer there. And so that as we read in John's gospel, uh, Peter and John, once the women finally get back to the disciples and do tell them about the whole thing, Peter and John set out on a foot race. I mean, the two of them just racing to the tomb. What do you think would motivate Peter to get to the tomb to see if Jesus was alive again. Peter, the one who had denied Christ three times, who the last time we read about him, ran off into the darkness weeping because he was so ashamed of his cowardice. Could it be that grace drew him in that foot race? Well, John, in John's gospel, I think it's chapter 20, John is careful to tell us that even though Peter and John ran to the tomb together. John got there first. And um, John doesn't go into the tomb. He gets to the tomb first, but he doesn't go in. He's being a good Jewish boy. He knows that if he goes in the tomb, the tomb will essentially make him unclean and he won't be able to go to temple for worship or synagogue for worship. And so he's got this, you know, he's glad to get there. He's glad to see the stone's been rolled away but he doesn't go in. Peter, who's huffing and puffing, trying to keep up, um, but who's really desperate, he runs headfirst right on into the tomb, right past John. Why? Because he's desperate. He's desperate for grace, and grace is relentless. And I'm so glad they left the door open for Peter um, and for John and for the women uh, when the angel kicked that stone out of the way. But also there's something else. I tried to emphasize it when I was reading what the angel said to the women. He said, go and tell his disciples, two words, and Peter. In other words, let's make sure when you first get there and tell them about the resurrection. So just prior right, to the foot race, to the empty tomb by Peter and John, um, the ladies tell the disciples, all of them are gathered there, 
And they say something to the effect of, and by the way, the angel told us to come and tell all y'all, if, if they were from the South, okay? Uh, it, the angel told us to tell all y'all and Peter. And they made sure we point you out, Peter. They said, and Peter. You know, the angel said, and Peter. And you can imagine Peter's ears just perking up and he runs out the door in the foot race thing. So uh, it is a relentless grace. This historic reality of the resurrection of Jesus is full of grace. It's amazing grace. God's grace, it's greater than all our sin. God's grace, it's more stubborn than all our sin. God's grace, it's more kind than all of our denials of God, all of our betrayals of God. It's, he's so compassionate. He's so kind. He's so generous. He's so eager for you and I to know his grace. Wherever you're at, let me just tell you something. His grace is coming for you. If you have got distance between you and the Lord, I just want to encourage you. The resurrection is one of these stories that reminds us of what a relentless grace and how far God will go in pursuit of his own people. Paul Tripp said this, and I'll put this in the notes too. Grace relentlessly pursues, relentlessly forgives, relentlessly transforms, relentlessly restores all of which we relentlessly need. Now, again, no matter where you're at, in your relationship with God right now, no matter how much distance there might be and what whatever reason made that distance happen, I want you to know the grace of God is pursuing you and pursuing me too. And I'm so grateful for it. And I have to preach that good news, that gospel to myself each and every day to remind myself of that. So the resurrection of Jesus, I would argue a historic reality and a relentless grace. And thirdly, I would argue it's a message of great news. And as these women run, they've got great news. How are we going to tell these guys? They don't tell anybody else on the way. But once they get there, man, they tell those guys, the guys that you know, the guys they've been traveling with around the country, following Jesus together for a long, long time. And it's really true. What he said, do you remember what he said in chapter eight, chapter nine, chapter 10? Of course, they didn't call it chapter eight, chapter nine, chapter 10 back then, but that's how we know what Jesus was saying when he predicted his death and his resurrection. And the women are now saying, what Jesus said has come true, exactly what he said. And so to the shaken and cowardly disciples who are hiding, the women come with the great news, this message of great news. Um, and it is through all of their collective witness that I'm sitting here right now and that you're sitting listening to me or watching this or whatever you're doing, but we're all recipients of this great news, of this relentless grace, of this historic event that actually happened in space-time history. So you and I can know for certain that Christ has accomplished the victory on our behalf. He has not only paid the price in full for our sin on the cross, but he's defeated our last and greatest enemy, death itself, in the resurrection. Mm. Two quotes, and I'll let you go. Uh, N.T. Wright said, the resurrection of Jesus is the only Christian guide to the question of where history is going. See, this is what God is doing. And it's, it, you know, the resurrection is this great illustration. It's the, 
the Mondo illustration. It's the big illustration, the unavoidable illustration of where history is going because God is sovereign and you can trust him. If he can do that, he's the one you want to turn to. Who are you going to turn to to roll away your stone? That's a great question to ask. The women were asking that on the way, literally on the way. Who's going to roll away the stone for us? And I think it's a great question. Um, the last uh, quote for this for today, as I'm talking about this amazing event, the resurrection of Jesus, is the, is, uh, the author C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. He said, this world is a great sculptor's shop. We are the statues, and there's a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life. I love that. That's such a great quote. I got to read it again to you. This world, he says, it's, it's like a great sculptor's shop. We are the statues, just standing there lifeless. And there's a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life. My friends, that is great news. This life is not all there is. Um, because of the death of death, in the death of Christ and his glorious resurrection. On the great day when the Lord comes back um, and rolls away the stone on every grave, I pray you will have seen and come to believe uh, how the resurrection uniquely qualifies Christ to be your Savior, your Lord, and your King. And if you haven't trusted him yet, I don't know why not. Um, I commend him to you, need look no further. He really is the one. Who is Jesus? He's the king, I tell you. How should you respond to Jesus? We should bow before him and give him honor and praise and thanks. Let's do it right now. Lord, we thank you for coming. You didn't have to, but you came anyway. You didn't owe it to us, but you came anyway. We didn't deserve it. You came anyway. Um, thank you for your relentless grace. Thank you for your amazing grace. And I pray for myself and for all my friends today that we'll walk in light of that grace today. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.